This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com. Guys, I'm so glad that you came into counseling today. I think this is going to be great for, for all of us. Now, who's ready for some cuddle therapy? What are we doing here? We're learning to love. Don't be shy. Oh. Amen. Well, pull out your notes for today's message if you like. Before we get to that, though, I want to share this being Super super Sunday and all, I want to share a couple of uh, cartoons with you that actually Debbie found, uh, Debbie Stanton did, and I thought they were so funny. I'll get off to the side here so you, all of you can see them. I just love this. They're at the divorce court here. What? You hid the remote during the Super Bowl? That'll be grounds for divorce right there. No doubt about it. All right. Next one. Uh, We'll go ahead and order autopsies, but I'm 99.9% sure that turnovers killed them. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the Broncos know about that. All right. I love this one. Excuse me, coach, but are we the hugs or the kisses? And then the classic of all time that you have to put up here. There you are. Great, great football cartoon. Okay, pull your notes out for today's message if you'd like to do that. And we're starting a brand new series today that we're calling Fix It. We're going to do it through the the month of February here. And, uh, you know, it just makes sense. If you need to fix something, it probably means that it's broken somehow or other. That's why it, it needs to be fixed. That just makes sense. And when you think... Of, of fixing something, a lot of things can come to our minds, obviously. Oh, I gotta fix the car, or I've gotta fix something on the house, or I've gotta fix my finances, or just about anything made in China, you gotta fix, you know. But certainly, top of that list would have to be relationships. You don't live very long before you find out that relationships are very fa- fragile, and are amongst the easiest of all things in life to break. And frankly, they are some of the hardest things to fix. That's why we want to talk with you over uh, the weeks of this month about how to fix this part of our lives. Benjamin Franklin once made this profound statement, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. So in other words, there's no middle ground. If you fail to plan, you're still planning, just that you're planning to fail. That's the way it's going to go for you. So this being Super Bowl Sunday, I thought what better day for us to talk about the strategy of planning and how important planning uh, might be. And and, uh, so for the last couple of weeks now, we've been hearing pretty much over and over again about at least within the world of football, about this whole concept of the game plan. They've been talking about the game plan that each uh, team will have, which is referencing, of course, the, the plan of attack that the Patriots will have or the plan of attack that Atlanta will have to, that they'll use to try to outmatch uh, their opponents that they'll be facing in the Super Bowl. Now, they say that Bill Belichick, who is the head football coach of New England, is the best in the business at this thing called game planning. He plans around his personnel probably better than any other football. If you follow football, you know that to be true. He, he seems to get the best out of whoever his players are. 
So he may not have the best players on the field on any particular day, but he has game planned around the deficiencies and the strengths that he has, probably better than any other head football coach in the game today, maybe anybody ever, and that has made him so successful and given New England such an opportunity to win on a regular basis. Of course, it, do, it doesn't hurt having one of the most talented quarterbacks to have ever played the game on his team, a guy by the name of Tom Brady. Speaking of quarterback Tom Brady, did you know, and I did not know this, that he was not, uh, he, he was not a first-round draft pick out of college? Did you know that? He wasn't drafted until the sixth round of the 2000 draft. That means that 198 players were chosen ahead of him, so he was 199, actually, so you're pretty close. And of the 198 that were chosen ahead of him, six of them were quarterbacks. Now, Brady is considered one of the best quarterbacks to have ever played the game of football. And I know that a lot of you don't like Tom Brady. I've heard it already this morning. I don't want Brady to win another championship, you know. But I really think it's sour grapes, people that don't, probably because he has led his team to beat whatever team you like so many times that you just have a dislike for him, you know? And see, I really dislike the Seattle Seahawks because of what they did to the Broncos in the Super Bowl, you know? They massacred us that year, and so I just hate them, you know? But I love their quarterback because he's a wonderful brother in Christ, and, and, and I just love him. But... And, and also, you know, in fairness with regards to uh, the, the, uh, the, the Patriots, uh, they have, they have a, a history of having pulled some shady things here in the, in the world of football the last few years, which has given rise kind of to some of those feelings, anti-Patriot kind of feelings that, that are out there and so forth. So I'm, but I'm not going to get into that. But it's interesting to me that the people who are paid millions of dollars, I assume millions, I don't know how much, but they're paid a lot of money they're supposed to know uh, who's the greatest talent coming out of college and everything. These guys who had all this knowledge and all this insight and they were paid so much money to know these things didn't think Brady was worth drafting until about the sixth round of the 2000 draft. Here's a list of quarterbacks that were drafted ahead of Tom Brady. Number one, Chad Pennington. Now I've heard of Chad. Chad played for the Jets and the Dolphins and he retired after 2012, uh, after making also $51 million in his career. Zero Super Bowls. You know, I could have given him zero Super Bowls for a lot less than $51 million. <laughs> I, I would have done it for $40 million, you know. <laughs> Saved them so much money. Anyway, now here's a guy I've never heard of before. Gio Giovanni Car Carmazzi, I guess is how you would say his Italian name. He played only two years for the 49ers, but never appeared in a game. Again, no Super Bowls. Chris Redman played eight years as a backup for the Ravens and the Falcons, making 14.3 million, uh, no Super Bowls. Here's a guy I've never heard of. T. Martin played two years for the Steelers and one year for the Raiders. Now, I would have thought I would have heard of him in the Raiders. He retired in, in 2004, no Super Bowls. Mark Bulger, I've heard of Mark Bulger, great Rams quarterback. Most of his time he played uh, 10 years uh, for the Rams, most of it. And he did win Super Bowl MVP honors in 2004, 
but he retired in 2011 after making $55.4 million in his career. No Super Bowls. And then um, Spurgeon Wynn. <laughs> he played three years in the NFL and then went on to Canada to play for the CFL. His only claim to fame is this one fact. He was chosen ahead of Brady. That's his one claim. That's what he'll tell you. Now, just for comparison's sake, all of those quarterbacks combined that I just gave those six guys, they threw for 246 touchdowns in their careers, all of them combined. Tom Brady has thrown for 450 touchdowns, and he's still going, by the way. He's been to six Super Bowls. Today will be seven, and he has won four of those Super Bowls. But all those other six guys were chosen ahead of Tom Brady as quarterbacks. Oops. Somebody made a mistake. Now, that's probably more information than you really wanted to know about one of today's players. But it just goes to show you today that experts don't always get it right. Now, Brady has certainly proven himself to be ab ab above the standard. He's proven his critics wrong. But I got to tell you, along this, these thinking about game planning and planning for your life and everything, I think that New England's success shows the power of good planning on the part of one of the game's best head coaches ever, a guy by the name of Bill Belichick. Because as I stated earlier, Belichick is considered the best at getting the most out of his players and game planning around whoever his players are. When the, when the really good ones are hurt and the, the second rounders or third rounders, third stringers come in there, he still plans a great plan that gives them a chance to win. Now, don't take all of this applause for the Patriots uh, to, from me to mean on your part that, that I'm hoping the Patriots win today because the truth is I'm really pulling for Atlanta. And I'm hoping that the, the Falcons win. Um, but, but you know what? Atlanta is kind of a, they're kind of a new face this year. The last time Atlanta was in the Super Bowl was in 1998, the 98 season. And, and they faced perhaps the best quarterback to have ever put on a jersey, this guy right here. And the Broncos smoked them. It wasn't even close. It was embarrassing to be a Falcons fan that year. But, of course, the Broncos have had some embarrassing losses as well. Uh, but I am happy to report that the Broncos won that game. But my point is, we don't have a ton of history on Atlanta. Will this be the start of a new dynasty in football if they win today? Well, time will tell. But New England... They have this history and they have the championships, which, as I've already stated personally, I think have as much to do with, with good planning by an exceptional head coach as it has to do with having great players on the team. And if planning is that important to football, does it not also make sense that it is important in all areas of your life, especially relationships? So let me ask you, how are you doing at game planning your life? 
And, and as it relates to what our topic is this morning on relationships, how are you doing at game planning your marriage, your family, your relationships? What, what is that old saying that Benjamin Franklin gave us again? If you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. Now this is what God's word has to say about planning, and this is just a couple of verses. Proverbs 16, 3, commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. What that tells me is that plans don't necessarily succeed. You've got to have a godly direction to those plans. Doesn't mean that ungodly people don't ever win in their plans because we know they do. But those plans have to have a proper direction to them. And that's what it's saying here. When you have a righteous direction, if you want your plans to last or work for the long haul, you've got to commit them to the Lord. Uh, secondly, Proverbs 16, 9. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Now, what that tells me is that everything that's going on in the world today is for a purpose. In fact, I would be so bold as to say that everything that's going on in your life is under the direct care of God. And God causes those things to succeed or to work out. And sometimes we look at the world and we say, man, why is this happening in the world? Why is this going on? Why, is, why did so-and-so become the leader? You know, why is, why is uh, Russia saber-rattling again and Putin and all this? All these guys are established by God as for an ultimate purpose that he's bringing to pass upon this planet and within the human race. And so I want you to understand that God's purposes are fulfilled no matter how much we plan. Russia is, is not in charge of the Middle East. Our Lord God is in charge of the Middle East. Iran is not in charge of the Middle East. Our Lord God is in charge of the Middle East. In fact, it has been so encouraging to see how God is using what's happening in the world today and all of the angst going on within the Middle East to move so powerfully in the nation of Israel. And did you know that Benjamin Netanyahu, who is the prime minister of, of Israel, is actually forming Bible studies in his home to understand the word of God. I mean, God's spirit is moving, and the political leadership in Israel is beginning to turn to the God of the Bible, who is their savior. And one of these days, they're going to acknowledge Jesus as their Messiah. It's, it's exciting. It's exciting to see it happening. Proverbs 15, 22, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. What that means is don't bull, uh, uh, bull your way into your own, you know, your own desires and everything. Listen to what other people have to tell you. You might just learn something, all right? And then Proverbs 19, 21, many are the plans of a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Well, what I get out of these verses is that planning, along with seeking, of course, the will of God and, and the counsel of the Holy Spirit, are essential if you want anything to succeed in your life over the long haul, and that includes your marriage. Now, I know that everyone here probably is, is not married today, but I think most of you who are not married are probably looking to be married at some point in your life, and, and so I think you need to pay attention even if you aren't married today. So what I'm saying is as with, in, with any football game, success comes from knowing the X's and the O's of the game plan and then carrying that plan out. 
And it is the same in our relationships as husband and wife. As marriages, we've got to know the X's and the O's, the hugs and the kisses, you know, they have to be a part of, of maintaining a powerful and a strong marriage. So today, I want to talk with you about the X's and O's of a successful marriage. And let me just say, by the way, this Friday and Saturday coming up, we're going to have this XO Marriage Conference that we advertised a little bit earlier in the service. And I really want to encourage you to be a part of it. It's only like, I think it's $10. Is that a person or a couple? A, a, a couple, $10 a couple. Wow. You can't beat that price. And it's, it's Jimmy Evans, and he is fantastic, his wife, and then all these other speakers that you saw. Uh, come and be a part of that Friday night and Saturday morning until noon. I think it's going to really establish something great in your life. And I really, uh, so if they want to be a part of that, they have to sign up out in the lobby. Right, okay. Now, first I would say the number one strategy for a successful marriage is this. Live in surrender to Jesus Christ. I can't overemphasize this. I can't emphasize this enough, however you want to put it. Can you have a successful marriage without Jesus as the center, at the center? Yes, you can, but it's a whole lot tougher. Because if both husband and wife are fully committed followers of Jesus, his spirit will give them the strength and the will to overcome their natural tendency, and we've all got it, a natural tendency to want our own way all of the time. We're all that way. And, and it's only the Spirit of God that gives us the, the will and the strength, the means, to overcome that. And we've got to overcome it because uh, wanting our way, selfishness, is the primary reason for failure in most all relationships, whether we're talking about relationships on the job, relationships in your neighborhood, or relationships in your family. So that means... And it's as simple as this. You've got to take Jesus out of this building with you. Jesus cannot just be a, a, a religious thing that you do here on Sunday morning for an hour, and then you go back to real life. You've got to take what you learn here and his presence in your life, and you've got to take it into that world, that everyday part of your life. And that means he becomes the guiding force of all of the decisions that you make as a couple or that you make as an individual. So it works like this. If you know that, that Jesus wouldn't be happy with the choice that you're thinking of making, let alone your husband or your wife, you don't do it. Isn't that simple? Kind of that WWJD. What would Jesus do? Would Jesus do that? It also means that you allow his spirit and, of course, his word to dictate to you the choices that you make, the values that you accept in life, and the standard by which you live your life, which means you might be counter to pop culture. You might have values that are counter to everybody you work with because they're all into pop culture and what it's telling you. And it's easy to go that way. You're pulled that way. But you allow the Holy Spirit to dictate the values of your life. And if you're single, I would say to you, it means to you that you don't settle in your quest to find a spouse or to get married. You don't just settle. You know what I'm talking about? Because there are a lot of worse things than remaining single the rest of your life. 
And one of those worst things would, would be living with a, with a person of incompatible faith. That is tough. Make sure that any man or woman that you're considering marrying is sold out committed to Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you've just exchanged one set of problems for a whole new set of problems. Now, considering this, this thought about selling out to Jesus and what full commitment looks like, Jesus, uh, well, we're, we're given in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62, it tells us here when Jesus and his disciples were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to even lay his head. And he said to another person, come follow me. And the man agreed, but he said, well, look, I, I, Lord, first I, I have to return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. And another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And what I think that Jesus is saying here is that having excuses, whatever they are, as to why you don't follow Christ completely with your life can actually exclude you from being considered one of his disciples. So this is serious. In other words, he's saying, we've really got to move from just a, an, an initial commitment to Christ to a full surrender of our lives. That has to take place. Because if it doesn't take place, it's going to sabotage your relationship with God. And it will not end up working out. Now, that shouldn't surprise us that Jesus requires that of us. There isn't one player who is going into, I don't know what the, the, the arena, the dome is called in Houston, but to go into that, that playing field today, there isn't one player who is going there just thrilled to be there. Every one of them wants to win that game. And they will consider themselves, they'll consider it a failing season if they don't win the game today. And the same thing is true in our relationship with God. We expect that kind of commitment out of football players. God expects that kind of commitment out of us. It's either all the way or walk away. You know, one or the other. And so what Jesus is saying is we've got to have that kind of commitment to him. And, and the reason he requires that of us is kind of simple. It's the only way to win. Those players, if they were just to go into that game and say, well, man, I'm just thrilled to be here, but I really don't care how it turns out. Do you think that team would win? I don't think so. The only way to win is to play to win. And you've got to do that. So in my opinion, this is the most important strategy for a strong and lasting marriage, a full surrender to Jesus Christ. Number two, you've got to live to honor each other. Honor each other. If I were to use one word to describe what keeps two people together for a lifetime, it'd be that one word, honor. Honor means you take the focus off of you and you put it on to somebody else. And that's what two people must have in order for their marriage to last a lifetime. Now, I'll tell you, in all of the marriage counseling that I do and have done, it usually gets down to this. The conflict, the, the tension, the anger that I'm seeing in front of me are the result of a lack of honor 
being shown husband to wife and wife to husband. That's just how important this is. When you get right down to it, you get past all the stuff, it's honor, lack of honor being shown one to another. Now, it's one thing for you to say, I love you, but it's quite another to honor that person. Honoring another person makes you go the second mile for them. Honoring that person makes you lay down your life for them. Honoring that person causes you to put them first in your life. And I, and, and I just think about how much God honors us as his people. As people, he did every one of those things. He went the second mile. He laid down the life of his son, and he put us first on his agenda. The Bible says that God loved us so much that he gave his only son. And I think what he's really saying is that God honored us so much. He loved us so much that he honored us to that level, to the point that he would put Jesus in our place on that cross to accept the punishment that we deserve. When we honor someone, we see them as they can be, not just as they are. And I think that's exactly what drove God to give his son for us. He saw what you could be, not just what you are. You know, sometimes I see only what I am. I don't get the bigger picture. God always looks at you and me and sees what we can be. And that's why he honors us. That's why he pours out upon us such grace. And I don't think there's a better description of what makes a great marriage than that right there. Seeing the potential in the other person. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. It's my favorite verse. It just is. I memorized that one first. That's not really true, but. And verse 25, he says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so what that's really saying is, wives, love your husbands so much that you give up your life for him, and husbands, love your wives so much that you give up your life for her. It's mutual. It's connected. There's only one way for those two verses to come true. You've got to honor the other above yourself. Lastly, I would just give you this. For, you know, live to forgive. Forgive one another. In 1970, and some of you were alive then, one movie had everyone talking. Love Story. Some of you remember. Love means you never have to say you're sorry. <laughs> that was the hit song that came out of that movie. Watch this.
I told Debbie Stanton, I said, half the women in this auditorium are going to have their Kleenex out just by showing those two little clips, you know. Did you have yours out? Oh, you toughed it through. Oh, okay, all right. What a crock. That's ridiculous right there. That's an example of a movie portraying what people want to be true, not what's really true. What's really true is, if you want to have a solid, successful, long-lasting marriage, you'd better put the pride aside and learn to say, I'm sorry, because you're going to need it. Some of you are wishing your husbands were here right now. <laughs> Why do you need to say, I'm sorry? Well, it's because we're wrong sometimes. That's why we need to say, I'm sorry. Times when we think that we are right, but we're not. We're wrong. And we do things when we think we're right, and those things sometimes hurt others, our spouse and, and other people, and that damages our relationships. You can't have a lasting marriage or any lasting relationship, whether we're talking about lasting long in a job or, or lasting uh, in good relationships with your neighbors or with your family or even in ministry, whatever, unless you learn to ask for forgiveness when you've hurt others and you learn to forgive others who have hurt you. That's going to be a part of the process of life. Jesus said in Mark 11, 24 through 26, I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. But if you refuse to forgive, your Father in heaven will not forgive your sins. Now, this is one of those uh, passages that we, we kind of learned about in, in, the, uh, in, in, the, in the class on Wednesday nights uh, a, a couple of months ago or so. I, I forget exactly, what it, was. it was a video with, with uh, Rick Warren teaching, and he says that a lot of passages have this thing called a promise that's connected to a premise, and this is one of those, where you get a promise made, but there's a premise that's tied to it, and the premise might be another word called a condition, you know? So what is the promise? The promise is you can pray for anything, and if you believe that uh, you've received it, it will be yours. Man, what a promise! That's a powerful promise, right? If you don't need anything... If you don't need healing, you don't need God to help you in any way, then that promise doesn't mean anything. But if you need God's help, then that promise means a lot to you. But there's a premise that's tied to it, and the premise is this. First, forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Now, the reason, that it, it, the reason for that is that prayer is only effective if we have a relationship with God. And a relationship with God is not possible if we won't forgive other people. Jesus said if we won't forgive others, God won't forgive us. So, love means I always have to say I'm sorry. Or maybe not always, but often have to say I'm sorry. That's a part of life. Being willing to ask for forgiveness and, and being willing to give it is essential in any lasting relationship or marriage. And, and I would say that it's the ultimate way that we honor each other, by being willing to say, I was wrong. Forgive me. No, I hate it when I'm wrong. I do. Because I thought I was right. 
and we got this conflict going. And then the Holy Spirit's dealing with me. He says, you got to go in and talk to that woman and tell her you were wrong. I don't want to tell her I was wrong. (laughs) Anybody else out there know what I'm talking about? And what we don't realize is we end up sabotaging our relationship with God because we won't do it. I mean, Peter just comes to my mind. 1 Peter 3 goes so far as to say, men, if you're not in right relationship with your wives, your prayers won't be heard. Woo, that kind of stings. I need my prayers to be heard. Anybody else need your prayers heard? You know? That doesn't get you wives off the hook. You still have to submit. (laughs) Go back to my favorite verse. (laughs) You You gotta learn to ask for forgiveness. Let me just give you one more thought on this forgiveness thing. Don't do the, if I have hurt you, I'm sorry routine. Don't do that. If I've hurt you. You ever had somebody say that to you? Don't, don't admit it if you've done it. It's so cheap. It's terrible. You know you hurt them. Own up to it. And ask for forgiveness. Don't play like you didn't. If I hurt you. I hurt you. And I'm sorry. And this is not just a marriage thing. It's, it's, a, it's a human relationship thing. Own up to it. Let God make you a man. Let God make you a woman. And, and ask for forgiveness for the pain that you've caused. But, but here's the great truth that, that I want to share with you. Whether others respond positively or not to your request for forgiveness, whether they give it to you or not, this is what I want you to walk out of this building hearing. If you say those words to God, Father, forgive me. He will always do it. Jesus said in John 6, 35, I will never refuse anyone who comes to me. Isn't that powerful? And some of us, you know, the devil has lied to us and he said, oh man, you've asked for forgiveness so many times. God's so sick of hearing from you. It's just not true. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Now, God wants you to have victory so that you don't have to keep over and over and over again, especially about the same issue. I mean, I have to ask for forgiveness every day, but it's not always the same issue. You know, God gives you victory over something. Maybe not like you never fail again, but I'm just saying he, he gives you strength over issues, you know, so they're not besetting sins, they're not continuous sins, the same ones over and over again. But you know what? God will never reject anyone who comes to him. Father, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I don't want to be this way. Purify my heart. Purify my mind. Make me a a different person. And the Lord will start circumcising your mind, which is what New Testament circumcision is. New Testament circumcision is in the mind. It's not in the body. And when he circum- what he's circumcising, what he's cutting out is the old. It's the junk. It's the world's values. And then we make him the Lord of our lives. 
and we begin to live in the fulfillment that the songs we sang about this morning talked about. So if you feel your life has little value today, maybe you think no one cares, you've messed up so much, you're just a, you're just a failure, you're destined to fail, I want you to know that if you will come to Jesus today, he will not push you out, he will not reject you, he will accept you just the way you are. Another lie the devil tells us, you got to get this fixed before you come to God. If you could get it fixed before coming to God, you wouldn't need God. The point is he takes us the way we are and makes us people that we never thought we could be because he never refuses anyone who comes to him. Praise God. Praise God. Yeah, we give the Lord glory. We give the Lord glory. Now I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment because the most important relationship, as I said, way over, I mean, it affects everything else. Your relationship with your boss, your relationship with your neighbors, relationship within your family, with your spouse, is your relationship with God. If you don't have that this morning, this is the time to start that. This is the moment. This is the day. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.